last Monday night on Raw, not only did Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson come out of retirement for one more action-packed match, but indeed, they gave Stone Cold Steve Austin all he could handle. Congratulations. Gerald. Congratulations. Thank you, Mr. McMahon. And it's fair to say that Patterson Briscoe, with honorable mention to Commissioner Slaughter, indeed tamed the rattlesnake last week. However, it was one individual and only one individual, me. That person drained the venom from the rattlesnake's poisonous head. What'd you think was going on, Austin, when the fan jumped over the rail with the Austin t-shirt, the Austin hat, the mask? What'd you think someone's gonna help you, Austin? Huh? Uh huh. I helped you, all right. It felt so good when I had that steel chair in my hand and it struck Austin squarely in the back. I assaulted Stone Cold Steve Austin and got away with it. It was indeed a very special night for me and my associates. However, it will pale in comparison to the glory and the honor that will be ours this Sunday on pay-per-view when the WWF goes over the edge. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we're going back in the time machine to May of 1999 to bring you your WWF coverage for the month. Uh, we've got three volumes for you, as is the norm. Uh, this is volume number one. Uh, WCW, of course, makes up volume number two, looking at the Slamboree pay-per-view. And volume number three, rounding off the month, is ECW and Wrestlepalooza. But as I said, this is volume number one. And joining me, we have Billy Johnson. Billy, how are you doing? Uh, good afternoon, Chris. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, thank you very much for yourself. Yeah, all good with me. Right, uh, over to you, I guess, to kick us off for the month with the uh, the WWF news. Okay, uh, starting up in the news, Eric Bischoff uh, issued an open challenge to Vince McMahon to show up and face him at WCW Slamboree. Uh, McMahon ignored uh, the challenge publicly, but didn't stop Jim Ross and other WWE employees taking shots at WCW on the air. Uh, A&E aired the unreal story of professional wrestling. The documentary itself has divided opinion due to glossing over a significant amount of wrestling history, including the Monday Night Wars, Ric Flair's importance being underplayed, Bruno Sammartino's name never being mentioned in the steroid trials. The WWF have uh, reported being sending out feelers to Ric Flair about using him should he be able to get out of his WCW deal. Uh, the WWF took Steve Regal case to court, and just before the judge was going to rule the legality of WCW's 120-day non-complete calls, WCW dropped trying to defend the case. No actual ruling of legality was then issued, but Regal is free to start with the WWF anytime, at any time. Shawn Michaels' uh, back is said to be slowly recovering, according to his Lawyers reports to WWF's offices. 
It now looks like he won't have surgery, but is, but they are. Ta he is targeting a January comeback. Thank you very much, Billy. So yeah, a fairly quiet news month on the WWF side of things. The biggest two stories, really, the, the documentary covering both promotions the big two and of course eric bischoff's challenge um i'm sure on volume number two they'll uh, be discussing eric bischoff's challenge from a wcw side of things and trying to fight vince mcmahon on a uh, pay-per-view um but from a wwf perspective um how do you make uh, what do you make of how the wwf have uh, dealt with uh, Bischoff's challenge. Um, they've tried taking uh, WCW to court about sort of these bait and switch tactics, issued a statement saying there's no way that Vince McMahon will show up to fight Bischoff on this pay-per-view. And the fact that WCW hinted at it um, could lead to some people buying the pay-per-view expecting Vince to show up and WWF weren't too happy about that. So yeah, what's your take on the WWF perspective of this? Uh, it's uh, very hypocritical with WWF, to be perfectly honest. Uh, they've done plenty of bait and switch before. Obviously, WCW have also done it. Uh, it's it's a war. All of this uh, mud is going to be slung at one another, and there seems to be court cases popping up every week uh, during this uh, now this uh, war that seems to be going on. And uh, Vince McMahon, just to round off this like new segment, he did issue one statement where he said he would not fight Bischoff on a pay per view, um, but he was Bischoff was very welcome to fight him. I think I'm paraphrasing here, but I think it was something along the lines of in any parking lot, um, so with the cameras off. So Vince McMahon determined to seem like an alpha male as always. Um, <laughs> That's what Vince does, isn't it, really? Uh, and it, you know, uh, it came off as uh, more of a businessman's reply more than anything else. Steve, I don't have all the answers, but I do know a few things. Number one, I'll be damned if I'm going to throw away 13 years of hard work by sucking up to a lowlife like Vince McMahon. Been a traumatic week, traumatic month. Number two, I'll be damned if I'm gonna let my wife and kids see me bumping and grinding with a couple of second-rate strippers on national television. And number three, I'll be damned if I perform in this stuff ever again. That's his dude love attire. What I'd like right now is to have Vince McMahon out here because I, Cactus Jack, want some answers and I want them right now. He seems very confused this week, JR. I am waiting distressed. on your reply. Vince McMahon, if you are a man, you come out here and face the music. Thought he was Mick Foley? He even said Cactus Jack at one point during this interview. You'll find his best friend Terry Funk tonight. And Stone Cold's gonna be uh, sitting at ringside providing commentary. Here comes the boss. He does not look none too pleased. Vince, I don't care what you do 
if you bury it, you burn it, or you put it on yourself. But you will not make me dress up like a horse's ass ever. Are we understood? Are we? Mick Foley, a very unstable human being here tonight. You got guts enough to call me out here before you? Me, the owner of the World Wrestling Federation? You got guts enough to call me out here before you and all these people? Who the hell do you think you are? That's the problem. I don't think he knows who he is. Let me tell you something. Sure, you hold a victory over Stone Cold Steve Austin Unforgiven, but you didn't get the job done because Stone Cold Steve Austin is still the World Wrestling Federation champion. And the next night, sure, Goldust becomes the number one contender. How do you react? You kvetch, you bitch, you cry, you moan, just like all these other people would at their lost opportunity. Because you see, they have to make excuses. When they don't get that raise, they don't get that promotion, they have to make excuses. I would expect better from you. And then, you think I'm trying to punish you by booking you in a match with your best friend, Terry Frunk, a no-holes-barred match? Yes, I do. That's not a punishment. That's reward. That's what it is, a reward. How do you figure that? Good question. Because I believe that you and I are a lot alike. I believe that you recognize this as it truly is. You see, I take adversity and turn it into triumph. This match that you have with your best friend is an opportunity. And that's what I give better than anyone in the world. Opportunity, don't you see? Can't you clearly see this picture? Who have you been listening to? Because if you seize this moment, if you take your best friend out to this ring tonight, and you not only beat him, but you beat him an inch from his life, if you tear him limb from limb, if you reach into his chest and pull out his heart and hold it and the blood drips down all over you, then you would have made the kind of sacrifice that's necessary to be the number one contender, the kind of sacrifice that's necessary to beat Stone Cold Steve Austin, the kind of sacrifice that's necessary to be the World Wrestling Federation champion. I've got faith in you. I've got confidence in you because I believe deep down in that demented cranium, you can do it. You can do it. You can seize this opportunity and once again become the number one contender for the World Wrestling Federation Championship.
so um, moving away from the news, which, as you can see, was a very, very quiet month for the WWF side of things. We have uh, Over the Edge to talk about, um, but that took place on the 31st of May. So we actually have four weeks worth of TV and WWF storyline progression to sink our teeth into before we get to our pay-per-view review. Um, so what I've done is I've gone through and picked out maybe one big flashpoint from each Raw of the month. Uh, we're going to discuss the angle or the storyline um, and the connotations of um, what it means um, for the WWF. So we'll start with the first war of the month, which um, opened up with uh, Mick Foley uh, coming out. Um, initially tossed away the dude love gear um, and sort of denounced the dude love character. But Vince McMahon came out and uh, convinced him that... Dude Love, uh, Mick Foley had a match schedule with Terry Funk, and this was an opportunity for Foley to prove that he had what it takes to become WWF champion. Uh, so that night in the main event on Raw, Foley and Funk had a brutal 15-minute brawl, which culminated in Foley picking up the win with a pile driver on a chair. And the show closed with Vince and Foley celebrating and dancing to the back. Um, so, Billy, what have you made of sort of this progression of the Dude Love character? On this Raw, we sort of open with remnants of this sort of mankind this sort of broken man but he slips back into dude love by the end of the night he's easily manipulated what did this episode of raw mean to you from a looking at mick foley perspective uh he told a good story um obviously with what cat uh finally did uh i believe it was like the week before where he cut that scathing promo after what had happened to him and Terry Funk inside Steel Cage on Steve Austin. Oh, it was a good uh, progression for his character going forward. And uh, it says that he is more than willing to sell out for corporate money and gains and funds. And uh, it's a good idea to get some heat on him uh, uh, to well, basically warm him up for the uh, up-and-coming match over the edge. And I, I think Foley deserves a lot of credit because he he still has the fractured and sort of twisted remnants of this mankind character seeping through. Like he he portrays a damaged and conflicted individual well, and when he seeps into this dude love corporate dude love character, it's very complex and layered, like by WWF standards, and it's something that put, I. I don't know whether I'd credit WWF and the writers with this or if it's something that Foley deserves all the credit for being able to pull off because he's a, he's a complex character and he's something un unpredictable when he is on Raw. Uh, yeah, no, um, I'll, I'd definitely say Mick would probably have a hand in uh, the direction of where his character's going. And uh, it's something completely different uh, for pro wrestling these days where he's basically... Uh, he's basically playing a character that has so many layers to it and uh, all the more power to him for going that way and it seems to have worked and gotten over. When you look at the big storyline, the big angle on Raw, obviously Austin versus McMahon and uh, every, Foley is such a huge part of that. He's like this perfect foil of like deep down, like you feel like as a fan watching you deep down that Mick Foley is a good guy and, and has like baby face potential, but this character is so fractured and damaged that he's so he's easily manipulated by this like evil overlord Vince McMahon into being the perfect wrestling foil for Austin. 
like it, it, it just works excellently. He, he certainly seems to, and uh, you know, he sort of uh, he's agreed to sell out for the greed, basically as well. Which uh, obviously, because Vince McMahon is being able to use him, um, I suppose that's all really I, I could uh, say on that. To be perfectly honest. Mick Foley came out to kick off the month on Raw. He said he did not know who he was anymore. He'd beaten Steve Austin at the last pay-per-view, but he was not the world champion. He hadn't been granted a rematch, and Goldust had been. Foley says he's been booked against Terry Funk in a no-holds-barred, falls-count-anywhere match in a deliberate attempt to kill them both off tonight. He isn't willing to throw away 13 years of hard work by sucking up to Vince McMahon. He tossed aside Dude Loves gear and demanded Vince came out. Vince obliged. Vince says Foley didn't get the job done at Unforgiven because Austin is still the WWF champion. Vince says the monk with, match with Terry Funk is a reward, it's a chance for Foley to beat his best friend within an inch of his life to prove that he has what it takes to become the champion. Vince slaps Foley, who then smiled. Stone Cold Steve Austin interrupted, kicking the love shack set around. Austin stalked Vince and stared him down to round off the segment. Owen Hart and The Rock defeated Farouk and Steve Blackman in a tag match after interference from Jeff Jarrett and a kick from Owen to Blackman. We had a Gerald Briscoe video package, culminating in Briscoe calling Vince the finest man he's ever known. We had a vignette hyping the debut of a new superstar, Edge. DRX came out for a promo. Road Dogg said the DOA got lucky beating the Outlaws last week. LOD2000 interrupted. Hulk made fun of Hunter's nose and called China a man, before challenging DX to an 8-man tag match against LOD and DOA tonight. X-Pac accepted. Dan Seven defeated Sabio Vega with an armbar in less than 2 minutes. We were set for an interview segment backstage with Jerry Lawler and Paul Bearer, but the director yelled cut and they put the camera down, but the shot kept running. Lawler, thinking he was off camera, asked Bearer about his segment last week, and the pair discussed Bearer's exploits with The Undertaker's mother, Bearer confirming that he is Kane's father. After the break, Lawler apologised to the viewers for transmitting the conversation that was never meant to be shown on air. Mark Amiro versus Jeff Jarrett didn't get started because Steve Blackman ran in before the match could get underway and brawled with Double J. We kick off the second hour with LOD 2000 and DOA taking on DX in an 8 man tag. The match broke down when DOA and LOD 2000 started brawling with each other and eventually they just cut to commercial without announcing a finish. Kane vs Goldust went about 2 minutes before The Undertaker ran down, attacking Paul Bearer and Kane, leading to a DQ. Taker and Kane brawled up the ramp with Bearer screaming, Damn you Undertaker, that's my son. We had a Val Venus vignette, he was filming the scene for his latest movie, The Soldier of Love. Next up we had Terry Funk vs Mick Foley in the main event. Austin joined us on commentary and Pat Patterson was the special guest referee. They had a wild brawl that was exactly what you would expect these two men to put on. There was a plethora of chair shots and Floyd was busted open on the steel steps. They brawled through the crowd, with Funk hitting a moonsault off the balcony onto Foley at one point. Foley hit a pile driver for a table. Back in the ring, Foley picked up the win after 15 minutes of brutality with a pile driver and a chair. He continued to beat down Funk after the match, so Austin came down to confront Foley. Austin threw a beer into Foley's face, and with Foley blinded, he accidentally put Pat Patterson in the mandible claw. Austin stunned Patterson. Vince came out with the dudettes and celebrated with Foley on the ramp, and they danced to the back to close out the show.
Vince McMahon came out for a promo. He announced that Stone Cold Steve Austin would begin repeating in a tag team match tonight. He introduced a man willing to sacrifice to become the number one contender and brought out a corporate dude love. Foley has his beard groomed, hair washed and is pulled back into a ponytail and he's wearing a suit. Dude says he now knows exactly who he is. He's the guy who's going to beat Steve Austin for the WWF title over the edge. Vince announced the timekeeper for the title match would be Joe Briscoe and then Pat Patterson would be the special guest ring announcer. Vince also went to introduce the special guest referee and after an awkward delay, Patterson introduced the referee as the best there is, the best there was and the best there ever will be, Vince McMahon. Vince mocked Austin hitting the corners and celebrated with his cronies. We see some footage of DX invading WCW offices in Atlanta. They joked about how much cooler the WWF offices in Connecticut are. Jim Rush says that WCW Vice President Lick Lambros called the cops on DX. Kevin Kelly was hoping to interview Stone Cold Steve Austin, but instead it was Al Snow and Head. They had tickets for tonight's show but couldn't work out how to get to their seats. Vader defeated Barry Windham with a Vader bomb despite the attempted interference of the new Midnight Express. We see Austin arriving at the arena. Kevin Kelly informs Austin about Vince's announcement. Austin's not phased, he runs down everyone and said Vince would never get the title off of him. Skull defeated Hawk in a horrible match after 8-Ball pinned Hawk with a small package after the DOA did an illegal switch. Back with DX, they're trying to get into the CNN centre but can't so they end up posing with a few fans and telling a CNN sign to go and suck it. We had an edge vignette before a clip of Bradshaw and Taka Michinoku hanging out before Club Kamikaze attacked them. Jeff Jarrett vs Farouk ended in a DQ after interference from Steve Blackman and the Nation. Jarrett leaves Blackman laying after the match. Austin came out for a promo, looking for answers about who his unnamed tag team partner is and who they will be facing tonight. Vince and the Stooges appeared on screen, dismissing Austin's questions, but Austin said he'd win the match anyway and suit the belt up Vince's arse. We had another Val Venus video package. Sable came out to kick off the second hour and called out Mark Miro for a fight and he obliged. Miro grabbed her, set her up for a TKO but put her down. Miro told Sable to apologise but instead she kicked him low and hit him with a power bomb. Undertaker appeared at ringside and went after Jerry Lawler. Taker backed him into the ring and laid him out with a chokeslam. He set up for a tombstone but out came Kane and Paul Bearer. Bearer vowed to prove that the, to the whole world that he really is Kane's father and left. Taker then laid Lawler out of a tombstone anyway. Al Snow and Head arrive at the announced desk but security came out and chased them away. We see DX have a cannon pointed at the CNN building. They send an animated missile into the CNN center and blow it up. DX come out for a promo in the arena. X-Pac cuts a promo about Eric Bischoff and WCW trying to have DX arrested. The usual DX spiel continues until Owen Hart interrupts and says he has unfinished business with Triple H. Owen went to fight with the rest of the nation. Triple H and Owen then had a singles match which ended without a finish as DX and the nation squared off. Commissioner Slaughter, refs and agents came to ringside to keep the factions apart and the segment ended. Dustin Reynolds came out, putting his gold dust gear into the trash and setting it on fire. He said that the Rhodes name has a lot of integrity, but now he doesn't have any left fence to Vince McMahon. He said that Goldust is dead and Vince would never forget the name Dustin. Terry Funk and Scorpio took on three members of Kayantai in a handicap match which ended via DQ after Bradshaw and Takaminchinoku attacked Kayantai for the DQ after a couple of minutes. Vince was seen backstage telling somebody they would be the most impressive partner Austin has ever seen. 
Al Snow tried to get back into the building but he was kicked out by a security guard. The nation came out. The Rock said that unless Austin's partner is Godzilla, he better get ready. The Rock is about to lay the smack down on him. So it's time for our main event with The Rock and D'Lo Brown taking on Austin and a mystery partner. The mystery partner is revealed to be Vince McMahon. Austin was on fire in the match, running wild on both nation members as well as Briscoe and Patterson. Vince watched from the apron, enjoying Austin getting beaten up. Austin seemed like he was going to hit Vince for the hot tag, but instead flipped him off and made his own comeback. He hit D'Lo with a stunner and threw the rock out of the ring, but Vince clotheslined him for a no contest finish. Vince, Patterson and Briscoe try to beat down Austin, but he fights back until Dude Love appears and lays out Austin. Dustin Rose made the save, but DX hit the ring to blow with the nation as the show goes off the air. on um, to the second Raw of the month. Um, definitely more minor in the bigger picture of the WWF landscape, but something I thought we should uh, talk about is Dustin Runnels. Um, on the second Raw of the month, he came out, he set fire to his gold dust gear, he, and he called out Vince McMahon for ruining the integrity of the Rhodes name. Uh, later that night in the main event, which was The Rock and D'Lo versus Austin and his surprise partner, who, which turned out to be Vince McMahon, uh, Dustin ran out and he made the save for Austin against Dude Love. Um, but the very next week on Raw, uh, Dustin lost to Dude Love after a distraction from Gerald Briscoe in under two minutes. Um, what do you make of this this change from the Gold Dust character? And is this is this do you envisage this being the end of the Gold Dust character? Like, has it run its course? Are they going to go back to it? Where where do you see them going with this story? And where where do you see them go with Dustin Runnels? Uh, well, uh, it's a very tough question. You know, obviously, initially, Gold Dust was a very good character when he came in. It probably was. Really, uh, the the way the character was portrayed was probably in the wrong era, really. It wasn't right in 1995, but it got so much heat, and it did well with it. And then they sort of didn't really know where to go with it uh, uh, from, I'd say, like summer 96 onwards, and then there was the babyface turn. And now, obviously, they tried to uh, up the ante by making him a little bit more... I suppose what's the word for it? It's, it's a little bit more freakier uh, when he was the artist formerly known as. So they've obviously gone as far as they possibly could with that Goldust character, and they felt that maybe this uh, new direction would probably suit Dustin more. Um, I, personally, I hope it works for Dustin. Um, okay, he's not the greatest wrestler in the world, and uh, he's not on par of. of where he was in 1993, he's not that sort of worker anymore. But uh, no, I hope that this new gimmick, uh, he's able to get over with it, and uh, I'd like to see where it goes. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, watching Raw in 1998, the worst part have been some of the gold dust and, and lunar segments and <laughs> some of the outfits and some of the promos like it's just yeah. <laughs> absolutely dreadful tv so any change away from that is only a good thing for me as a viewer um and obviously like the way they were treating that gold dust character towards the end of its run was just the lowest of the low um my one concern would be that a week after dustin runnell's emerges on Raw, he's losing, like, well, not clean, to be fair, but he's losing convincingly in under two minutes on Raw. Um, he does have an injury, I think, and he's going to be out for a few weeks. 
Um, yes. But I, I don't know if the WWF really has any plans for him, like, <laughs> at all. Like, the Goldust character, while, like, terrible TV, he was on TV. Like, uh, was Dustin Runnels, like, as a mid-card babyface, I don't know if that has any legs in it in the Austin era, really. Uh, no, I don't think that would really work in uh, 1998 either. Uh, it, it's a bit of a tough one because, obviously, he's going to be out injured. Uh, when he comes back, is anyone really going to remember that he threw the gold, uh, gold dust clobber in the bin and burned it? Uh, it's, it's very difficult to, to see where the WWF is going, considering how it's structured these days, uh, in the booking department anyway. Vince McMahon, Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson came out to kick off the third war of the month. Vince said that due to his devastating clothesline last week, Austin had suffered a concussion. Jim Ross noted that Austin had been doing house shows all week. Vince said that for Austin's own protection, he had been banned from the building tonight. He sees some footage of Austin being denied access to the building by security earlier in the evening. Austin says he's going to go and drink some beers, and when he comes back, they could either let him in the building and do things the easy way, or they could do things the hard way. Back in the arena, Vince brings out Dude Love. Dude spoke about how great it would be when he wins the WWF title. Vince then brought out Dustin Runnels. Vince says it isn't his fault that Dustin comes from a dysfunctional family. Vince said Dustin could face Dude Love tonight for a number one contendership, but if he loses, he has to work for free for 30 days. Dustin accepts, sucker punching Dude Love, but Patterson and Briscoe send him packing. Jerry Lawless showed up with a mystery person under a blue sheet. The security guy verified it wasn't Austin and allowed him into the building. Next up, we had the debut of Val Venus as he defeated Scorpio with the money shot. Austin tried to get into the building again and he beat down the security guard who wouldn't let him inside. He called for a medical assistance for the guard on the guard's own walkie-talkie and stormed into the arena. Austin hit the ring for a promo. He demanded Vince come out to set up things right now or he start destroying $50,000 cameras. Vince and the Stooges had turned up on the ramp. Vince says Austin can have a street fight tonight. It won't be three on one, just two on one, but he wouldn't reveal which two. Austin says he doesn't care who he'll be facing. We have another Edge video package. Sable came out for a promo, calling out Mark Miro. She wants to have an amical separation from him. Miro pulls out a contract she signed two years ago, states that she has to do whatever he says, and he orders her to stand in his corner for the next match. Miro lost to Terry Funk after Funk took advantage of a distraction from Sable to hit a DDT for the win. The security guard Austin beat up earlier in the night was searching for him with the police. The DOA beat LOD2000 after 8-Ball jumped in and switched places with the legal man to roll up Animal for the free. Hawk calls out DOA for a six-man tag next week. We get footage of Paul Bear and Kane getting DNA testing to try and prove that Bearer is in fact Kane's father. Lawler came out to kick off the second hour, accompanied by a mystery man under a cloth. He says he is tired of being pushed around at ringside, so he has his known, now has his own personal security and reveals the mystery man to be Al Snow. Snow says he was promised to meet him with Vince McMahon, but Lawler dismisses Snow to the front row. Dude Love defeated Dustin Runnels after two minutes with a mandible claw after a distraction from Gerald Briscoe. 
Cops found Austin backstage and told him he's under arrest as we head to break. When we come back, the cops are handcuffing Austin while the Vince and the Stooges talk trash at him. The Headbangers vs Kayantai ended in DQ after Bradshaw and Takamid Shinoku ran in and chased Kayantai away. DX came out and cut a promo before the New Age Outlaws defended their WWF Tag Team Championships against The Rock and Owen Hart. Owen and Billy Gunn were fighting on the floor, trying to distract the ref and Farouk ran in to hit The Rock with a pile driver. Road Dog crawled over and made the cover to retain the titles. We see footage of Austin being released by cops after apologising to the security guard he beat up earlier in the night. Kevin Kelly interviewed Dr. Charles Woolsey in the ring. He asked if Paul Bearer is in fact Kane's father. The doctor confirmed that he is. Bearer came out and bragged about being right. He said he'd proved that the Undertaker's mother was a whore. Taker ran down to ringside and attacked Bearer and Kane. He chokeslammed Kane and stared Bearer down, but Kane recovered and chokeslammed Taker. Vader ran in to make the save and Taker chased Paul Bearer to the back. Our main event saw Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson take on Stone Cold Steve Austin in a street fight with Commissioner Slaughter as the special guest ref. Patterson and Briscoe tried double teaming Austin by using foreign objects but Austin cut them off and beat them down anyway. Austin stunned both Patterson and Briscoe so Slaughter goes for the Cobra Clutch but instead gets stunned too. Dude Love ran out but Austin also beat him down. A fan in Austin mask then jumped the barrier and entered the mix but Austin turns his back. The fan grabbed a steel chair and hit Austin with it revealing himself to be Vince McMahon. Austin went after Vince but Dude grabbed him and put him in the mandible claw as the show went off the air. Uh, moving on to the third Raw of the month, another storyline, which has been one of the major storylines for the last, what, what, eight months or so within the WWF, is the ongoing saga with The Undertaker and Kane. So on the third Raw of the month, we had uh, Dr. Charles Woolsey in the ring, and he did in fact confirm uh, that after DNA testing, Paul Bearer is in fact Kane's father. Um, this segment inevitably culminated in uh, Taker and Kane brawling once more. Um, so, Billy, really, we've had this relationship with Bearer and Kane clarified, but that doesn't really add any layers to the Taker and Kane feud necessarily. So, is is this the 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 end of this program? Really, like on Raw, we saw Taker insert himself into the Austin McMahon situation, and uh, again at Over the Edge, which we'll, we'll obviously cover in the main event. Uh, he attacked Patterson and Briscoe. To, towards the end of the match. And, um, so Taker and Kane, while something they could obviously revisit, I don't... Is this the end of Taker and Kane as the programme for, for the two men involved? Well, it, like you say, Chris, it, it's been running... What is it? Uh, it's, it feels like it's been running a year, but I think you're right in saying it's been like eight months. Uh, they can't keep going to it... Um, there needs to be, I suppose, the big reveal has, has been done with uh, Paul Bearer as uh, Kane's father. I suppose the next logical step would maybe to be go the route of Undertaker as uh, another one of uh, uh, Paul Bearer's sons. I, I, honestly, at this point, I, I really don't know where that storyline stands. Uh, uh, what well, what the future will hold for Kane either. It, it's something where I felt like they didn't get everything out of this that they could have done because it was such a fantastic day, way for Kane to debut um, 
in and it, coming in in the uh, Hell in a Cell match last year between Taker and Michaels, and yeah. they held them off so well, and the the storyline was built brilliantly over a number of months, but the matches were underwhelming. I think we had the spectacle of the Inferno match, obviously last month, um, but the matches have been below par. Um, and the storyline's just sort of fizzling out here. And it, a part of me feels like this bearer as Kane's dad is just sort of like a desperate attempt to, to keep it going, but it doesn't really add anything to the story necessarily. Um, I mean, Bear has made a few... It doesn't really add anything to, to the Kane character, does it, really, either? No, it's, it's completely sort of cut Kane out of it, in a way. It, 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 it gave Bear a chance to make a few more jokes about The Undertaker's mum with Jerry Lawler and Raw. But in terms of the, the feud between The Undertaker and Kane, um, it's kind of fizzling out, which is disappointing. Yeah, that... that... I'm sure that I feel like they've run out of ideas and they're just uh, throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks really with this uh, reveal. Uh, but I'm sure we'll find out within the next few months where they're going to go next with the Kane character and hopefully they're going to heat him up for uh, something bigger in the summer. Yeah, you'd hope so because there's there's legs in... Obviously, Undertaker's a top, top guy and obviously Kane very much could be... Um, so maybe a t this is always a program you could come back to with these two. There's, I feel like a, a, they, the two being broken off for a while is a good thing, and then it's something you can revisit and maybe have another go at, like in a year or so or later down the line. But um, yeah, for now, um, it's probably good for both men that they go on to other opponents for a while. Vince McMahon, Patterson and Briscoe and some cops came out to kick off the show. Vince highlighted that last week he was the man to take out Austin with a chair. Vince reminds us that this Sunday he's the referee, Patterson is the ring announcer and Briscoe is the timekeeper. This brings out Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin says that Vince is the world's dumbest son of a bitch because he just admitted to assaulting Austin last week. He tells the cops to arrest Vince. The cops oblige and swarm Vince who has an all-time great meltdown. Patterson and Briscoe tried to prevent the cops from arresting McMahon, so Vince reminds them that this is obstruction of justice, so they get arrested too. Austin celebrates with a few beers to cap off the segment. LOD 2000 and their mystery partner, Puke, the debuting Darren Drostov, beat DOA in a six-man tag after Puke pinned chains with a powerbomb. Owen Hart vs Dan Seven ended in a DQ after Seven locked Owen in an armbar and the nation hit the ring for a DQ. They tried to destroy Seven's leg, but the referees broke it up. We had a Never Edge vignette. The Jackal came out with Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf and Crackhead Bob from the Howland Stern show. He explained he'd rented the two oddities from Stern before bringing out more oddities in Luna, Golga and Giant Silver. We had then had a match with Golga defeating Thrasher in a quick match after running Power Slam. We had a shot of a shadowy figure in the crowd who was Al Snow. Vader vs Jess Jarrett ended in a DQ when Kane ran in and attacked Vader. Vader threw, Kane threw Vader into the steps and left him laying. 
The cops let Vince and the Stooges go backstage, with the condition being that Vince had to apologise to Austin. Vince then apologised to the former WWF champion. Austin refuses to accept this apology, so Vince fakes sincerity, tries again, before being released from his handcuffs and storming off. Vince and the Stooges came down to ringside. Vince confirms that he did not mean his apology. One of the conditions of Vince being released was that Austin got to choose another WWF superstar to be at ringside at Over the Edge to make sure Vince is a fair special guest referee. Vince said nobody in the roster intimidated him before booking Austin vs Undertaker for tonight. We see footage of DX hatching their latest plan at an airport somewhere. Al Snow assaulted Jerry Lawler at ringside and was taken away by security. Takamichinoku defeated Dick Togo in around 3 minutes with a hurricane runner. Kaintai jumped Tucker after the match and laid him out. Farouk beat Mark Miro in 2 minutes after a distraction from Sable allowed Farouk to hit a clothesline. After the match, Miro offered a challenge to Sable. If she could find a single WWF superstar who could beat him without her help at Over the Edge, he would tear up the contract and she would be free. But if he won, Sable would have to leave the WWF forever. Sable accepted and left. The DX plan turned out to be stock footage of fighter jets, fake sky writing, hey WCW suck it, DX rules, over the arena where Nitro was playing tonight. Next up we have The Rock taking on Triple H. Before the match, The Rock vowed to retain the IC title against Farouk on Sunday. They had a pretty good heel versus heel match which ended when both men got countered out brawling on the floor. Farouk ran in and jumped The Rock afterwards and laid him out with a pile driver on the stage. Vince came out and revealed himself to be the surprise special guest ref for the Austin-Taker match. Before Austin came out, Taker got in Vince's face and laid him out with a chokeslam. Taker looks to, looked to hit Vince with a tombstone, but Kane came out and they brought for the crowd into the back. The Stooges came out to check on Vince, but Austin came down and hit them both with stunners. Austin went to beat Vince down with a chair, but Dude Love ran in with a chair of his own. Austin nailed Dude's chair with his own chair and took Dude out, leaving the Stooges alone to save Vince and they bailed. This was a wild close to the month. Before we get to the uh, pay-per-view, um, it's only fair, obviously, that we talk about the excellent main event scene within the WWF. Uh, say the best of last. It's been another mu- wild month for the uh, Austin era on Raw. Um, one week Austin was arrested. The next Vince and the Stooges were arrested. Um, heading into the pay-per-view, we know that in the main event, um, Austin has the deck act against him uh, with Vince, uh, Patterson and Briscoe all having a vis- official roles in the, his title defence. But this is a trope we've seen employed pretty much every week on Raw with Vince and the Stooges somehow getting involved in or booking the odds against Austin in some way. Um, last month on the show, I, I was waxing lyrical about Vince and Austin and and both men as individuals and how they complement each other so perfectly. And everything about this storyline has been great. What have you made of May in the story of Austin McMahon? Do you think they're in danger of sort of going to this world one too many times of Austin has the deck stacked against him, but he finds a way out over and over and over and over again? Or or for you, is this just the mm-hmm. beginning and the end is, is far from near? Uh, for me, it feels like it's uh, still very much the beginning of the feud. Uh, I can understand what, what 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 you're trying to say there, Chris. Uh, where you know they'll go to the well once too many times, but I, I feel like at this point, Stone Cold Steve Austin is just so over. Uh, whatever they do with him is going to work. Now, 
don't get me wrong, uh, you know, that could very well sizzle out. But, uh, you know, Vince McMahon has proven that he's actually very, very good at being a corporate, uh, <laughs> the corporate uh, hill, really, in the WWF. Uh, I've got to say, I, I've, I've enjoyed Vince's promos each and every week throughout May. And Austin seems to get one up on it. I'm, I'm always... Uh, uh, very much enjoying everything that seems to go on uh, within that feud at this present moment in time. And Vince McMahon's facial expressions have just been absolutely priceless, especially when he ended up getting arrested and he was in back of the car, uh, the police car. I, I, I was uh, in hysterics over the way uh, Vince was selling the uh, arrest job. Uh, yeah, to be fair, I, I was more playing devil's advocate because I'm with you on this one. Like, I don't think... If you've got Vince McMahon playing this character and you've got Stone Cold Steve Austin portraying the character he currently is, you can't get that wrong. Like, they're, they're just too right. perfect in their roles. And uh, everything about it just works. Like, you could you can have a Raw that is, like, 110 minutes of, of nothing and it's just horrible and it's terrible and it's bad TV. But if you've got 10 minutes of Austin and McMahon sprinkled throughout that two hours... Then I've enjoyed myself. Like it's 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 everything that they they need in a way. Like I like the show. Like for me, like Raw hasn't been great this month. Like the if you take it as eight hours of TV, there's way more bad stuff than good. But the good oh, stuff yes. is so good that it it almost doesn't matter. Like you don't tune in for Raw for the un to Raw for the undercard. You tune in for Raw to see what Austin's going to do and how Vince is going to try and stop him, but how Austin's going to get the better of him and accumulate the heels in the end. And it just works. It's it's an excellent dynamic, and I don't think the end is near at all for this storyline. No, I, I certainly hope not. And, uh, yeah, you make a great point uh, how Raw is... Uh... Basically, a lot of the filler, uh, the, especially the feuds heading into uh, uh, Over the Edge, a lot of them were very, very bland. Uh, and also, they've been building up a porn star. So, yeah, uh, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is, is great <laughs> that we've got this uh, great, great feud. And it makes for great TV. And <clears throat> it makes Raw feel a hell of a lot better if you've got it on there. Um, with that, I think uh, we should head into the 31st of May and our review of the Over the Edge pay-per-view. Uh, Billy, would you kindly uh, kick off this section with a recap of the results? Well, of course, Chris. Uh, LOD 2000 uh, defeated the Disciples of Apocalypse. Jeff Jarrett uh, defeated uh, Steve Blackman. Mark Mero defeated Sable. Uh, Kai and Tai. Uh, in a handicap match, defeated uh, Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Uh, I, sorry, just Bradshaw. Uh, ta and Takamichinoku. Uh, the Rock defeated uh, Farouk to retain the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Uh, Kane uh, defeated Vader in a mask versus mask match. The Nation team of D.O. Brown, Akawa Mustafa, and Owen Hart defeated uh, the D-Generation X team of Billy Gunn, Rodog, and Triple H. And in the main event, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Dude Love to retain the WWF Heavyweight Championship. What did you make what? of this show? 
Oh, God, uh, where, where to begin? Uh, this show, uh, <laughs> I suppose the undercards, uh, the midcards, uh, anything that wasn't the main event was very dull. Uh, there was a lot of duds on this show. Um, uh, a lot of the matches, timing was very, very poor on a lot of them. It, it felt like they were just throwing stuff out there. Uh, to fill pay-per-view time to get to the main attraction, which was uh, Austin and McMahon in the main event. Uh, I was a bit disappointed with this show, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, it depends what you what you want, really, because I'm pretty much repeating myself from uh, the review of last month's pay-per-view. But big picture, your main event scene is what sells tickets. Your main event scene is the reason people buy a show. Um, People buy this show and buy a ticket to this show and watch this show because they want to see Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event. Um, and if you bought this show because you want to see Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event, you can't complain because it was sensational. But if you buy this show for three hours of entertainment, then then you certainly didn't get that. Like, it, it, it was a horrible undercard. Um, yeah, like, as you said, everything outside of the main event just don't watch it basically like it was bad like it, it it was boring and bad wrestling like it was the combination of the two worst things um but, but the main event for me was probably must see and it speaks volumes for the power and of stone cold steve austin and just how over he is because the crowd sat through two hours plus of like dross over and over and over again, and they were dead. There was no heat for any of the matches. Like the crowd was really quiet, and I thought they're actually in danger of this crowd being so killed by how bad this show is that the main event doesn't get this like over the top reaction that it normally does. But as soon as Austin hits the ring, the ceiling, the roof just comes off the arena. So it speaks to the power of Stone Cold Steve Austin because. I think if you bought this show and you bought a ticket because you want to see Austin defend his title with against Dude Love and you, you've got Vince McMahon and the, all this like corporate backing against Austin, then you you got what you paid for because it was great. Yeah, I got I completely agree with uh, all of that uh, that point. Uh, you certainly aren't buying uh, tickets to see Kai and Sai versus Bradshaw and Sakamichi <laughs> Noku, which is is uh, you know. Uh, but I would have loved a, a a straight wrestling match on the undercard. But I suppose we are in the Austin era now, so we're probably not going to be getting stuff like that on the undercard, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, I understand why they did it. So, into our review, and the first match of the night is the LOD 2000 with Droz and Sunny. They take on Skull and April of the DOA, and Chains is at ringside. Uh, JR actually called this a number one contenders match on commentary, but um, we'd, that wasn't official or anything. I don't think anyone else mentioned that. Um, and if this is, in fact, a number one contenders match, it sums up the state of the tag team division here in the WWF. Uh, we start off with a brawl involving all six men. Eventually, we get underway with Animal and Eight Ball. Eight Ball hits a neck breaker and Electrop, but misses with a charge. And Animal hits the slowest dragon screw leg whip in wrestling history to take him down. 
Skull and Hawk are in, a sh are in, and they shove each other around before Skull hits a slide slam for two. Hawk no-sold a pile driver from Skull, and the pile driver actually looks so bad that Lawler and commentary had to try and cover for it by pointing out that Skull just hadn't made any contact with it. So it wasn't as much Hawk no-selling. It was as in there was nothing to sell. Uh, Hawk then uh, got two with a leg drop. Uh, the DOA take control of the match and hit a double boot for a two count. They take it in turns to work over Hawk, and here come the chin locks. Skull misses a move off the top, and Animal gets a hot tag. The match completely breaks down. Everyone seems to be running around cluelessly. Uh, it seems like 8-Ball completely switches off and blows a spot. Uh, the DOA try the old switcheroo, teasing, uh, teasing the same finish we've seen on TV, but Droz hit a cheap shot to 8-Ball, who staggers into a power slam from Animal to give LOD 2000 the win after around 10 minutes. Uh, Billy, what did you make of our opener? Oh, Jesus. Uh, well, where to, again, where to begin with this one? Uh, it, this was really dull. Uh, the action was plodding. Uh, I think you've got it you know, hit the nail on the head with the dragon screw leg whip. That was one of the worst I've ever seen. Uh, I think the only thing I could take away, which I liked about this match, was the continuity of where they did the old switcheroo with the DOA. They've been building that up on the TV. So, yeah, it's, that was probably the only shining light out of that entire match. Uh, yeah, this was pretty much a, a dud and... Uh, not really necessarily a way I'd like a pay-per-view show to open. So, yeah, that's about it, really, on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone who's watching WWF in 1998 has seen enough of both of these teams, let alone when they're facing each other. Um, just a really low-quality pay-per-view opener. Um, and even when I compare this to last month, which we had a, a horrible tag match to open the pay-per-view, um, we had The Rock in it, and The Rock was great, and he got the crowd going, and he got the crowd involved on the apron. Like He had some good heat on The Rock. Um, this was basically that match again, minus the presence of anyone remotely as able to get the crowd invested as The Rock. Um, so you take that positive away, and... There's just nothing here. Uh, and I don't know if this is worse in some ways, but I I've, I've, seen, I've seen worse from both teams, but this was still horrible. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, really, but I just thought it's worth mentioning. Uh, flashbacks to matches of LOD versus the Godwin. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 we definitely had worse, but this was still terrible. So even when they're not at their worst, it's still terrible and it's still dull. So running out of uh, legs on the LOD only two months after their sort of repackaging with Sonny. Next up, uh, we had The Rock. He came out for a promo in which he ran down the, the good people of Milwaukee. Uh, Farouk ran in and the two began brawling. The Rock is scheduled to defend his intercontinental title against Farouk later in the night. Uh, the Rock went to hit Farouk with a chair, but instead he hit the ropes and the chair rebounded into his own face. Uh, Farouk then laid The Rock out with a pile driver on said chair. Um, saying that, uh, that, he completely did miss the chair so, and the pile driver looked ridiculous, but... In storyline, he laid him out with a pile driver on the chair. Uh, they never showed a replay of the incident, and the Rock was stretched out, and we were told that their scheduled IC title match later tonight was, in fact, in jeopardy. Uh, anything to say on that 
segment, Billy, or should we move straight on to our second match? Well, yeah, yeah, I think you pretty much uh, touched on it. I, I, I botched it because uh, they tried to obviously. I think it was what like, Farouk accidentally like stood on the chair, which slid it out of the way, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> which it's just all oh, looked really, really awful. And uh, I thought it would play a bigger part in the title match later on, but I, I, we'll get to that later on, won't we? Yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. So yeah, next up we have uh, Jeff Jarrett, and he's out with Tennessee Lee and taking on Jeff uh, Steve Blackman. Um, Blackman attacked Jarrett on the floor to start us off, and he press slammed him back inside. Uh, Blackman went up top, he hit a missile drop kick, but Jarrett comes back and hits a bulldog, followed by Blackman avoiding a charge and hitting a German suplex, which gets two. Tennessee Lee distracts Blackman, which allowed Double J, Double J to take control of the match with a clothesline from behind. Jarrett hits a drop kick for two. At this point, Al Snow then joined the Spanish announce team, but security eventually took him away, and there was sort of no more, nothing more to take away from that. He appeared at ringside, and security took him away. Uh, Blackman hits an elbow and tries a splash, uh, but Jarrett gets the knees up. Uh, Jarrett locks on the sleeper, but Blackman fights out until Jarrett counters with a back suplex. Blackman fights back into the match and hits a backbreaker. He hits a spin kick to two and hits a bicycle kick, but Lee helps up on the apron to cause another distraction. The Hills have a brief moment of miscommunication, and Blackman takes advantage, rolling up Jarrett, but this only gets two. Blackman hit Jarrett with a kendo stick, but this also got two. Uh, Lee kind of blew this spot because uh, he was meant to put Jarrett's foot on the ropes, but he was a bit late, so Double J pretty much had to do it himself. Uh, Blackman went up top, but Lee hit a cheap shot with the kendo stick, which allowed Double J to get the three and pick up the win. Uh, Billy, what did you make of our second match of the night? No, oh, uh, again, uh, another dud. Uh, Anything with Jeff Jarrett in uh, really seems to be a dud. But like over the last couple of years, I've been uh, watching him. Uh, he hasn't really uh, had a great match since I would say the Ahmed Johnson match at the Royal Rumble at '96. Uh, so I really want to like Steve Blackman. He's a, a really like a solid uh, babyface, but um, he doesn't seem to be over in any way whatsoever, and that uh, the crowd just didn't really invest in him here and they didn't really seem to care uh even with the build-up on tv where jared uh, beat him uh, uh, ended his losing streak if i'm remembering that correctly uh yeah uh again this just wasn't a very entertaining match uh very 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 dull <laughs> yeah horrible match a boring match with a worse finish that I thought he completely buried Blackburn in, in the sense that he was pinned by the exact same spot that Jarrett hadn't lost to moments before. They just got one kendo stick shot and that was it. Um, this match couldn't have had less heat with the life crowd. And I think that's more of a reflection on Jarrett and how over he is. Uh, like I agree with you really. Um, he just isn't over and I'm not sure at this stage he ever is going to be. Um, I, I'm not sure what value he has in the WWF at this stage. Um, yeah, dull all round, bad match. Oh yes. <laughs> Next. <laughs> uh, so I was just going to say your uh, commentary over it, Chris, was more exciting than the match itself. So, uh, I would take that as a compliment, but having seen the match, it doesn't take much. So uh, <laughs> I keep modest. 
Uh, next up, uh, we have Mark Miro out. He is scheduled to face a wrestler of Sable's choice. The stipulation is if that Miro loses, he would let Sable out of her contract with him. But if he wins, Sable could never work for the WWF again. Uh, Sable made her way down to the ring and said that she's taking the match herself. Miro turned somber. He apologised to Sable about how their relationship had turned out. He said that he would lay down so Sable could cover him and win her freedom. The match starts. Miro lays down and Sable goes for the cover. Miro reverses it into a cradle and pins Sable, holding her down for the free, defeating her in less than 20 seconds. Miro ran off celebrating like he'd just won the WWF Championship. Uh, later on, Michael Cole interviewed Sable, who was absolutely devastated, couldn't believe Miro would stoop that low. Um, and later in the show, they made a big deal of her having to leave the building, trying to take in her bags and some sadly set for the last time. Uh, what did you make of this? I mean, I can't really call it a match, so I'll go with Angle, I suppose. What, yeah, what did you I'll, make of everything we just saw? I would definitely say it was more of an angle than a match. Um, well, uh, I suppose he sort of, in a way, uh, will get Sable away from Mero in the long-term scheme of things. But on the shorter side of things, it means we're going to have to put up with more of this uh, nonsense with Sable and Mero. Uh, I, I, I'm not into this in any way whatsoever. Um, it's I, I, I really feel for Mark Mero. He's fallen so far ever since he's gone to the Fed. And... Uh, his wife is incredibly more over than him. Um, I don't know where they're going to go next with this. Uh, that, that's really all I've got to say about that, really. As far as sort of mid-card heels, like, I think Mark Miro, like, should be so much further ahead on the totem pole than Jeff Jarrett, for example. Like, yeah. Jarrett, I, I get nothing from, like, nothing from Jarrett, like, I don't think he, he's particularly invested and he, he hasn't had anything to sink his teeth into really. Like, just dull as dishwater. But Mark Miro, I think, always, always, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but I I always like him. Like, I think he's, like, really good in his role. And, like, the stuff with Sable has been mostly bad. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, the, the storyline's been bad. and but I think his, his execution of bad material is often really good. And, like, it's little things with him, like the running off over-celebrating after winning this match. Like, it's just... I think Mark Vera is a character they could do something with, but I don't know if they ever will. Um, as an angle, it was fine. Um, I sort of thought it was funny. Like, we we spoke about in the news, and you pointed out quite rightly that about WF accusing WCW of pulling a sort of bait and switch and uh, at, on a pay-per-view. And this is kind of that because we, we were sort of promised a, a Mark Miro match with, with a competitor of Sable's choosing. And I, all right, we, we kind of got that, but um, it's not really a, a match in the wider sense of things. Uh, no. Sorry, go on. I was just I was going to make a smart comment of uh, couldn't Sable just got on the phone to Butterbean or something? <laughs> yeah, I mean it would have gone better for her if she had done, but I don't think we need. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we need another one of those. Uh, no, no, I don't think we do either. <laughs> <laughs> then again, it goes back to what I said about overall for this pay per view. Like 
all right, we were scheduled for a Mark Miro match, but they didn't sell one buy <laughs> because Mark Miro had a match on this card. They didn't no, sell no, one no. ticket. No one's buying this show to watch Mark Mero. <laughs> no. So, and I suppose in the grand scheme of things as well, when you compare what we had here between Sable and Miro to the first two matches of the night, I would rather have a match angle like this that offers storyline development and progression for two characters than a dull match that has no heat and doesn't do anything for any of the guys involved. So... This is probably the biggest plus on the show so far, but it's hardly setting the world on fire. <laughs> uh, backstage, we get a look at the Rock selling his injuries from Farouk's attack earlier. Uh, Commissioner Slaughter appears, and he says that the Rock must defend his title tonight as scheduled, or he will be stripped of it. Our next match was introduced as a special bonus match, Lucky Us, with Kai and Tai. Uh, taking on Takamichinoku and Bradshaw in a three-on-two handicap match. Uh, all five men brawl to start with Taka and Bradshaw clearing the ring before Bradshaw presses Taka to the floor onto Kai and Tai. Bradshaw tags in. Every time Bradshaw tags in, uh, uh, all the heels just run away. Uh, it, he chases them around the ring uh, over and over again. It's actually like pretty good comedy as far as WDF goes. Like, they're just absolutely terrified of the big guy. Um, uh, this carries on until he reluctantly tags Taka into the match. Uh, Dick Togo beats on Taka in, in the corner, but misses a charge, and Taka hits a tornado DDT for two. Taka then follows with an excellent moonsault off the top to the outside onto Funaki. Back inside, Dick Togo hits a reverse powerbomb to give the heels control of the match. Funaki tags in and hits a suplex for two. Togo gets back in, he hits a corkscrew of the top and a stat power slam for two. That was excellent. That execution on that move. Uh, Kai and Tai then hit a double-team TVT on Taka, and Bradshaw has to come in to break up the pin. Dick Togo hits a dive off the top as they the heels continue to work over Taka. Uh, and they, they pull off this uh, very unique-looking Boston Crab, Camel Clutch, and Sliding Dropkick triple-team spot, which, again, was re really good. Uh, Funaki misses a charge, and uh, Taka is able to get the hot tag to Bradshaw, who runs wild on the free hills. Uh, JR then says in commentary, the little people are trying to take down a giant, which I thought was quite funny, as Bradshaw hits a brutal-looking powerbomb on Funaki. Taka tags back in. He hits a Michinoku driver on Dick Togo, but the other members of Pintai break up the pin. Bradshaw is occupied with the other two in the corner, so Togo takes advantage of the numbers game to head up top and hit a senton bomb on Taka Michinoku for the free count. Uh, what did you make of our special bonus match treat? Uh, well, it was a treat. Uh, the in-ring activity was very enjoyable. Uh, I really like Kai and Tai. Uh, I'm a big Michinoku pro fan, so... I appreciated that I got to see Dick Togo and uh, Men's Tower in the WWF ring. Um, I, I was a bit, obviously, I understand why the, uh, the three of them have been teamed up and they did uh, Americanizing Tacker on TV. Uh, I understand why they did that. Uh, but I would have preferred if they would have gone maybe doing a four-way here and uh, didn't put... Uh, uh, Togo and uh, Fanoki and Men's Tower together as a team. I really thought a uh, four-way for the light heavyweight title, but they gave up on that belt a long time ago. Um, 
uh, the other sort of problem I had with it, I, I understand why JBL did this, but it, uh, sometimes it seemed like he was annoyed to be in there with uh, the kind tie guys. He didn't like, always seem to be uh, selling for their stuff as as much as he has done for other people. I, I do get it, like, because size-wise, obviously, a guy of his size, it wouldn't look very good for him to be selling against uh, smaller guys. Uh, I suppose it did a lot for Taka going forward as the light heavyweight champion. But again, it, it doesn't really seem like they've got much of a plan for him, which it is a shame, really. Yeah, I think you've nailed it, really. This is a great idea. It would have been much better as a four-way. Um, the size difference between Bradshaw and the three opponents of his was pretty comical, considering they're the heels and he was they were, as, a, as a trio against one man, they were bailing every time he got into the ring um but i genuinely thought this was a pretty fun match the action was pretty good um and as far as the light heavyweight title even though like you said it's pretty much a dead title um it established all three members of kai and tai as, as threats to that belt and i think somewhere down the line that four way for this title with those four guys that'll be a really great match um it was probably the second best match of the night definitely the best match we'd seen up until this point um but again absolutely no crowd heat um i don't really blame the guys in the ring for that one though that, like it's not their fault um but i thought this was pretty fun overall yeah no, up, uh, sorry. It was, oh, oh sorry, no sorry man uh yeah it was it was it was i've got pretty much agree with you it was it was a lot of fun uh a lot of fun wrestling inside the ring and uh yeah, that was. So I was just sorry. I was green. You can cut that out if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, Farouk is out, and he's here for his scheduled intercontinental title shot. Um, the Rock is introduced, but he doesn't come out. The Rock is then introduced again, but he doesn't come out. Eventually, Commissioner Saucer comes down to the ring. He gets on the mic and he says that The Rock has still a count of 10 to come out or he would be forfeiting the title. The Rock showed up at, uh, with two seconds remaining and he was still wearing his neck brace. Uh, Farouk attacked Rock on the outside. He took the neck brace off and hit him with it. Uh, he beat on Rock and hit a pair of clotheslines and The Rock failed. Um, yeah, so the match is uh, sort of just underway really they brawl on the outside uh Farouk follows him down uh, they brawl down the ramp and back to the ring and uh match is underway they're in the ring and we're underway intercontinental title match even though the rock was in a neck brace two minutes before the rock takes control of the match early with a clothesline before hitting a couple of elbows here's his theatrical elbow drop which gets two and considering his debilitating neck injury he's taken an awful lot of this match Farouk hits a slam and a headbutt for two, but The Rock hits a DDT. Uh, Farouk comes back with a spine buster. Um, yeah, the, so Farouk hits this spine buster, and the, the move looks sloppy enough, but what followed was worse. So basically, <laughs> he, 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 he hits the spine buster pretty much dead center of the ring. So The Rock's on the map. He's trying to reposition himself um, for the cover. It takes an awkwardly long time because the rock obviously his body's not in the, the right angle, he's quite far away from the ropes. So Farouk sort of bundles him over there, looks like he's gonna cover him but doesn't, sort of shoves him towards the ropes a bit. 
it, it takes an awkwardly long time. Eventually, Rock is on the mat by the ropes and Farouk goes for the pin. Uh, the referee counts one. The Rock puts his foot on the ropes very, very clearly. But the referee just keeps counting and counts the three. Um, it came off as sort of a blown spot because of how long it took to orchestrate rather than a false finish. The crowd didn't react to it whatsoever. Um, the referee uh, didn't uphold his decision. So the match just continued. It might as well have not happened. Um, yeah, so the match continues. Uh, the Rock takes Farouk down in the corner, uh, rolls him up. He puts both feet on the middle ropes. But again, the referee misses this and counts the three. But this time, the decision stands and The Rock retains his Intercontinental title after less than five minutes of action. After the match, uh, Farouk hit The Rock with two pile drivers and the Nation ran in to make the save. DX then made their way down to ring and made the save for Farouk. Uh, Billy, what were your thoughts on our IC title match? Oh, well, where to begin? Uh, well, the initial, obviously, the angle earlier on, uh, but they did, where Farouk uh, took out The Rock's neck with uh, the power driver to the to not to not the steel chair. Uh, obviously, thought they would play that up more. They did the, an angle in the back where Stuart obviously said he was going to uh, make Rocky defend it anyway. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Sergeant Slaughter is supposed to be a bait. A hill, right? Or is he a baby face? I'm not quite sure. Well, I, uh, I, thought, then, he was, I thought he was a baby face. But he, well, he, was, he was a hill on TV this month. Yes. Against <laughs> so so I, I don't really know. No, I don't really know what Okay, what the plan was. So I thought maybe, you know, they'll save it by having, I don't know, have uh, Slaughter obviously bring the rock out and then maybe have uh, Mark Henry or something attack Farouk from behind. But they decided not to go that route. I decided to go a route uh, of uh, Farouk uh, in the babyface challenger mode, uh, which really didn't work. This crowd really did not care for Farouk anyway whatsoever. Anything that had happened to him in the build-up to this match, uh, it was sloppy, uh, and the crowd didn't care. Um, I suppose the only silver lining to all of this was that The Rock uh, retained the IC belt. <laughs> uh, I what the hell kind of psychology was going on with this match? So, yeah, to recap, Rock came out earlier on the show. He cuts a heel promo on the crowd. Farouk sneak attacks him and injures him. So the Rock is hurt, but Commissioner Slaughter, who's been a heel this month, forces him to compete. So we've got the heel commissioner forcing the heel champion to defend his title, even though he's hurt, after the heel champion cut a heel promo. So then the Indian champion valiantly defends his title despite being hurt. He comes out in a neck brace. Like, he's in a babyface spot. And then he just cheats to win because he's the heel. But he's in a babyface spot. It made zero sense, this entire match angle that they've gone and done. But uh, maybe they were thinking along the lines, oh, we've got to sort of get warmed up for this, uh, heat him all up and everything, and uh, unfortunately, none of that worked and the crowd didn't care because of all this uh, extra nonsense uh, that they added on top. It made no sense to me. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, how could you possibly care like about Farouk after this? Like, No wonder the crowd was so dead. He lost in like five minutes to The Rock who was, like, had this like terrible neck injury. Um, the match itself was fine, just like the storyline stuff was like 
a complete shambles. Like, I, t- I don't know. Like, I thought, like, I actually thought, like, despite my better judgment and the fact that The Rock had come out to, to cut a heel promo, I was like, is this, like, the makings of some sort of double turn here? Like, f- like when he came out in his neck brace and you've got a heel commissioner forcing him to defend his title, even though the only reason he's injured is because Farouk attacked him earlier in the night. Like, it's all backwards. Like, Farouk's a terrible babyface. The Rock's an excellent heel, but they put him in a babyface spot. Like, it was just a mess. Um, the match itself, yeah. I suppose, was fine. Like, for five minutes of action, apart from that hideous sequence after the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. That's it a was all, oh, a, a complete mess, and whoever booked this shit should... Uh... Well, should I, I would say be fired, but they should be given a stern talking to. <laughs> uh, so yeah, moving on. Next up, we have uh, Kane. He is out to with Paul Bearer, of course, to take on Vader in a mask versus mask match. Um, so they slug it out to open with Kane getting the upper hand with a short arm clothesline. Vader hits a boot to the face and clubbers away at Kane. Kane comes back with a suplex attempt. Uh, sorry, Kane counters a suplex attempt into one of his own, uh, and but then misses with an elbow drop. They trade clotheslines before Kane hits a slam, followed by a flying clothesline off the top. Vader comes back, and they go back to trading punches before Kane hits a snap wear and locks on a chin lock. Kane hits a choke slam, but Vader rolls to the floor. On the outside, with Baird inadvertently distracting the referee, Vader finds a huge oversized wrench and beats Kane with it. Back inside, uh, Vader hits a splash in the corner and a clothesline. He goes up top for the moonsault, but Kane sits up to avoid it. Kane picks Vader up, hits a tombstone pile driver, which is enough for the free count. After the match, Kane unmasked Vader. Uh, Bearer puts on the mask and taunts Vader into the camera, shouting, it's time. Uh, Michael Cole then interviews Vader at ringside as he's leaving. Uh, Vader calls himself, and I quote, this is exactly what he said, I'm a fat piece of shit. Uh, He then said that Vader time might be over. Uh, Billy, what did you make of our mask versus mask match and the subsequent interview with Vader? Uh, right, okay. So I, I actually enjoyed the match. Um, okay, you could probably pick holes in it and say it was slow and podding and, and not much happened in the way of action. It wasn't that entertaining, but I, I enjoy watching two big men just like slug it out, and, and that's what generally happened. Uh, I actually have to like pick apart the logic again of the of this. It was mask versus mask. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong in thinking, but Vader's been like taking that mask off for, well, I'd say since like 1991, hasn't he? He just like removes it during matches for no reason. So I, I wondered why it was booked as a mask versus mask match. I, I, I thought that was a bit silly. Uh, like the promo afterwards, when Vader said that, I, I just felt sorry for him. It's like you're not a fat piece of shit, Vader. You, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really are. You might be a big husky gentleman. I'm a big husky gentleman, but you're not a big fat piece of shit. <laughs> you know, you you're a, a, a menacing hill, or you used to be a menacing hill until you went to the Fed. Uh, maybe they're just trying to do it because he's going to be on the losing streak or something. Uh, I, I 
I, I, I don't want to apply a logic to the WWF's booking these days, to be fair. So I don't know where it's all really heading. No. Uh, well, as for the interview, I, I don't really know what the point of it was. Like, I don't know what it does for Vader or for anyone else. What, like, why they didn't, like, why did it have to be on the show? It didn't add anything. Um, I mean, I guess we have to see what importance it has on Raw moving forward and what Vader does next, but pff, didn't seem like a whole lot was going to come of it. Just a throwaway line, but a really strange one. Um, we've been pretty much almost exactly on the same page throughout this show, but um, you, I think in your opinion on this match, you said you could say it was slow and plodding, and my first two, my first two words are it was slow and plodding. Um, I, I didn't enjoy this match. I mean, I, I like a big hostile match with two big mean guys clubbing away at each other, but this this didn't really feel like that to me. It felt a bit too slow and plodding. Um, and, and and yeah, we, we have all seen Vader without his mask before. Um, it all felt a bit weird to me. I didn't really know what the point of it was. It gave Kane something to do and like a, a, a sort of fairly quick win over an impressive name, like at least an impressive name outside of the WWF. Um, but it was just kind of there for me. Uh, next up, um, we have a promo segment um, with Michael Cole in the ring to introduce Mad Dog for Sean and The Crusher, a Milwaukee legend. Uh, Introducing them to the ring in front of the, the Milwaukee crowd to honour them. Uh, Jerry Lawler was on commentary. He was acting as if he hadn't heard of either of them. Uh, Mad Dog took the mic. He said it was a huge honour for him to receive this. And he says that he loves his niece, Luna, like a daughter. He says people always ask him, oh, I've seen your daughter wrestle. But no, it is in fact his niece. Um, he thanked Vince for putting wrestling on the world stage. Uh, Luna hit the ring. He started ta taunting both men before trying to grab Mad Dog's prosthetic leg. Crusher hit Lawler with a bolo punch, uh, and Lawler went uh, back to uh, Lawler bailed and went back to the commentary desk. Um, yeah, Crusher and Mad Dog sort of hung around the ring for a little bit, but Lawler snuck back inside and actually did steal Mad Dog's prosthetic leg this time. Uh, Crusher took his. Uh, shirt off and chased Lawler away, but it was pretty apparent that at his age he didn't have the best mobility. Um, the segment ended with uh, Crusher hitting Lawler with the artificial leg and celebrating in front of the crowd. Um, really, anything to say really on this segment? <laughs> I mean, what, what do you make of it? Uh, it, it made me laugh. Um, <laughs> it, it really did. Uh, I thought Lawler was gold here, actually. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah, Crusher is a proper legend in Milwaukee because uh, uh, the AWA used to run there. Um, <laughs> I, I like. I, I suppose like the one big takeaway I had from this whole angle was when Lawler tried to move the prosthetic leg. He went to the wrong leg first. I mean, you would have thought like Jerry Lawler <laughs> would have known where Mad, <laughs> Mad uh, Dog for Sean's fake leg is. Uh, and this was generally a lot of fun. Um, it, after all the dud matches that we had had on this show, um, I needed a, a little laugh uh, after all the duds I'd uh, sat through. So, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like 
fun, but it it just made me feel a bit sad, really. Like I know the yeah. crowd like were very receptive to Mad Dog and obviously Crusher, but like I don't know, like with with the the way both men like were moving, and then like when Crusher took his top off, like. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I'm not trying to be to to be cruel or, or no, or to be mean, like, but it just it just came across as like a bit sad. Like I I don't like I was enjoying it and I thought like it was like it was good for the the crowd to see the crusher hit sort of one last bolo punch on Lawler. Like it's a good spot. Um, the crowd loved it and were really into Crusher, obviously, but it just made me feel a bit sad. <laughs> I think it's just because I have a sadistic sense of humour that I enjoyed this Maybe thing. that's it, yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we move to our sem- semi-main event. Uh, it's a six-man tag team match as Triple H and the New Age Outlaws, represented DX, take on Owen Hart, Dino Brown and Karma Mustafa, represented their nation. Uh, China, X-Park and Mark Henry were all at ringside. Uh, D'Lo and Rodog starts off in exchange hammerlocks with D'Lo getting the better of the early going. Rodog hip tosses his way out of a headlock uh, before Billy Gunn tags in and hits a clothesline on Owen before following it with a press slam. Owen fights his way back into the match. He hits a spinning heel kick and looks for a sharpshooter, but Gunn escapes and tags in Hunter. Hunter hits a running high knee and a backbreaker for a two count. Road Dog tags in. He has a snap near and a leg drop, which also gets two. Owen goes low on Triple H and tags out to Karma, who clubs away at Hunter, who eventually fights back and hits a face buster. The Outlaws work over D'Lo with Billy getting hitting a suplex for a two count. The Nation take control of the match and they take turns working over Road Dog, with Owen hit, culminating with Owen hitting him with a pile driver for two. D'Lo hits a leg drop slaps on a chin lock. Brody fights back, but he hit, gets hit with a sky-high powerbomb for a near fall. Owen hits the insecurity. He locks on the sharpshooter, but Hunter breaks it up. D'Lo then hits his moonsault for another near fall, but he misses with a senton, and we get a hot tag to Billy Gunn. Gunn runs wild on the nation. Uh, one of the tag title belts gets thrown into the mix with Hunter on Gunn, making, uh, taking advantage of it to pile drive D'Lo onto it, but there's no ref. Owen sneaks in, he grabs Hunter, and he hit Hunter uh, with a pedigree onto the same t- uh, same belt, which got the pin to bring the match to a close. Uh, what did you make of this uh, this match? Uh, my reviews actually, uh, like this went like 17, 18 minutes. Like, con, like that was qu- that was quite quick for the length of this match. Uh, I, it it felt. At times, I, I was uh, like looking at me watch quite a bit throughout all of this there because it, it felt long to me. It really did feel quite long. I, I thought it was maybe a tad bit long, but then obviously you've got the dull undercard that you've already have. And what are you going to dedicate an hour and thirty minutes to Austin at McMahon in a main event? Can't really do that. So I understand why they went eighteen minutes. Uh, the action was was solid. There wasn't anything sloppy about it. The crowd are generally really invested in D-Generation X and were definitely behind them in this match. So at least you had a hot crowd. And uh, I, I, I say, like, the only thing I really enjoyed doing this was the hot tag. I thought that was really well played and they timed it to perfection. 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy this match. It was like with the undercard in the WWF as weak as it is on these shows. Like, so what if a pay per view goes two hours instead of three? Like, this match didn't need to be the best part of 20 minutes long because when you drag out a match that has like six, seven minutes worth of action, 20 minutes, it, it, it takes it becomes devoid of merit like it undercuts what is good about the match like this match had owen hart in it like dx are over um but it felt flat like one thing i would know is it owen's finally getting a big win over hunter like long time coming <laughs> it's taking a heel turn but here we are owen hart pinning triple h on pay-per-view it's always taken six months for them to decide to do something with Owen. So. <laughs> yep. uh, Doc Hendricks is backstage with Vince McMahon uh, for an interview. Uh, Vince says that only by his hand will the upcoming championship match end. Uh, with that, it is time for our main event of the evening with Sir and Cold Steve Austin defending his WWF title against Dude Love. We have Vince McMahon as the special guest referee, Pat Patterson as the special guest ring announcer, and Gerald Briscoe as the special time timekeeper. We get a really prolonged introduction segment of Howard Finkel forced to weed an incredibly over-the-top formal introduction for Pat Patterson before Patterson introduces Briscoe, Vince, and finally Dude Love in the same manner. Uh, Patterson follows up by refusing to introduce Austin, which was pretty funny. Uh, before the match can get started, just as Vince is about to ring the bell, The Undertaker makes a surprise appearance as the special guest enforcer who was chosen by Austin to keep Vince in check throughout the match. We are underway and McMahon breaks Austin away from a lockup in the corner, so Austin flips him off. Dude hits a shoulder tackle, which it gets a very, very quick two count, which draws the ire of Taker. They trade side hood dot takeovers with Taker staring at Vince, making him count whenever pin Austin tries to pin Dude. Dude's false teeth fall out, so Austin stomps on them. <laughs> Austin hits a fist press and tosses Dude outside. They brawl around ringside, and Dude sends Austin into the steel steps. Back inside, Dude hits a Russian leg sweep for two with Undertaker continuing to give Vince a death stare. Austin hits a swinging neck breaker and follows it with a trio of clotheslines before stomping on mud hole in Dude in the corner. He whips him across the ring and ducks a clothesline, but Dude grabs a mandible claw. Austin counters out of it and whips Dude into the ropes at where he gets hung up. They brawl on the outside again and Dude tosses Austin over the Spanish announce table. Pat Patterson then gets on the mic to remind us that this is, in fact, a no-DQ match to show that the heels are changing the rules as we go. Dude chokes Austin with uh, cables at ringside, but Austin escapes by launching himself and Dude at Gerald Briscoe. Austin pounds away on Dude on the timekeeper's table and clotheslines Dude over the security rail, which was absolutely brutal, and they brawl into the crowd. Austin clambers back to ringside, walking all over Briscoe and uh, lays Dude out with a clothesline. Austin crotches himself across the middle rope back inside, and dude set, but Dude sends him back outside with a space ball slide. Dude hits a neck breaker outside, so Patterson then reminds us that this match is in fact falls count anywhere, and JR, JR is shocked and appalled. Austin hits a huge lariat, but Dude backdrops him onto one of the scrap cars on the entrance set. 
Austin hits a hot shot onto another car for two. On the roof of the car, Austin looks for a stunner, but Dude shoves him off and he crashes across the roof of another car onto the floor. Dude then hits a horrible looking for Dude. It looked it looked great, but like a horrible bump. Sunset flipped off the top of the car, which gets two. Austin, who has been busted open, looks for a pile driver, but Dude backdrops him for two. Dude hits a snap suplex and heads onto the roof of the car, but misses with an elbow drop. They head back to the ring with Austin in control, but Patterson trips him to give Dude the advantage once again. Dude rams Austin into an exposed buckle, following with a running knee into the corner and another shot to the buckle. Austin fights his way out of a chin lock, but gets sent into the exposed buckle a third time, which gets a two count. Patterson hands Dude a chair. He nails Austin with it a couple of times. He hits a double arm DDT onto the chair, but Austin kicks out. Dude charges with a chair, but Austin gets the boot up. Austin gets hold of the chair and nails Dude with it across the head. He makes the cover, but Vince refuses the count. Austin squares up to Vince. Dude try, grabs the chair and tries to sneak up on Austin, but Austin ducks the chair shot and Dude smashes Vince instead. Austin hits Dude with a stunner, but obviously there's no ref. Another ref runs from the back to count the pin, but as he gets the two, Patterson pulls him out of the ring. Dude Love locks on the mandible claw has Austin pinned to the mat, so Patterson slides into the ring and tries to count the pin, but The Undertaker pulls him out the, out the ring and chokeslams him through the announce table. Gerald Briscoe tries the exact same thing, sliding into the ring to count the pin and meets the same fate as his fellow Stooge, with also being chokeslammed through the Spanish announce table. Austin fights out of the claw. He counters and catches Dude with another stunner. He makes the cover and uses Vince's own hand Who's Vince, who's completely unconscious in the ring. He grabs him with his hand, counts the pin. So Austin is declared the winner, retaining his title after 23 minutes. And the roof came off the place with that finish. What did you make of our main event? I really enjoyed this main event. Um, I'm not going to say I'm going to say like it was like an in-ring wise quality main event. It's not up there with uh, like, a, a, say, uh, like a Kiboshi and Masao. It's not a great uh in-ring classic it was a great storyline match uh, i think they like really delivered in the build-up to all of this uh and uh, like the promo beforehand where vince said it's going to finish by my hand and my hand only i liked how they played the uh, the continuity into that and, and brit a callback spot later on in the match uh, for the finish i really enjoyed the um the walking brawl part of this match where they were bumping off the hoods of the cars and cactus did that Ugly looking elbow drop off of the top of the car onto the concrete floor. Uh, I thought the blood really added to the drama of the match, uh, which was it, it, it didn't need it, but you know, they thought they'd run with it and go with it. I thought that was a great idea. Uh, and the finish was white hot as well, you know, for them to do the ref, all the ref bumps that they did. And uh, when Patterson and Briscoe both uh, got choke slammed through the table, the crowd were absolutely on the edge of their seat as was i and uh i, I really needed this after such a dull undercard yeah i agree with pretty much everything you said um i absolutely love this match so did the crowd uh, they were with it from the first seconds and uh exploded with a finish um wwf really has such a sweet spot with this main event scene it's like the epitome of sports entertainment like vince mcmahon is such a wonderful character austin's the perfect babyface foil to that vince mcmahon character um 
the storyline aspect of this main event scene is just off the charts. Like every part of it is bang on the money. Um, and because of that, Dude Love and Austin, two good workers, great workers, can go in there and have like a really fun, wild, chaotic brawl. And the storyline takes it to another level and engages everyone watching, everyone in the arena and makes them invest in this match. It was it was brutal, it was chaotic, it was fun. So clearly the match of the night that doesn't even really need to be said. Um, nothing else really deserves an honourable mention. Like there's nothing in the running. Like this is so far ahead of everything else. They, they did a, a wonderful job here and uh, the way they structured the match, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, well done to WWE for making me sit through two hours of trash to, to get to 30 minutes of pure gold. So uh, to cap off our pay-per-view review, I'll uh, come to you for your overall thoughts on this show, which we've pretty much given throughout, and a yeah. score rating out of 10. Oh, well, uh, I suppose there was a good angle. There was a okay handicap match. Uh, uh, the main event was really, really good, so that's probably going to win all the points. Uh, Got to give it a 4 out of 10. Yeah, it, it comes back to what I said at the start, really. If you bought over the edge for the main event for Austin and McMahon and Dude Live, how could you be disappointed? Because it was excellent. It was the saving grace for the show. It delivered everything it promised and more. Um the crowd was so dead throughout the whole show up until the main event, but they were absolutely wild for the main event and they went wild for everyone in it. And if you were one of the people there in the building live, leaving this building on the night, with the adrenaline in the arena, you'd have been hard-pressed to find a single fan who wasn't absolutely buzzing about this show because they're coming off the red-hot main event. So as three hours of entertainment, this is, this is pretty horrible. Um... But I still maintain that a bad undercard with an unbelievable main event scene is is better than having a, a good undercard with a, a, a horrible main event scene because the main event is what leaves the like leaves the long lasting impression with the fans and which sticks in your head and that's what sells the tickets and draws draws buys and draws ratings at the end of the day. So I I think I'm pretty much gonna go like. 10 out of 10 for the main event and 0 out of 10 for the rest of the show. So I'm going to give this one straight down the middle a 5 out of 10. And that will pretty much bring to a close this month's edition, a WWF edition, sorry, of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Um, Billy, I'd like to thank you for uh, joining me on uh, stepping in, uh, stepping in last minute this week uh, to fill a spot on the show. And uh, it turned out just to be a two man booth this month. So, yeah, uh, it's very much appreciated you uh, saving the day. Hey, no worries. Uh, I, I enjoyed it and I always enjoy talking about old uh, school wrestlers. So, yeah, um, uh, thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully I'll get to talk uh, some more WWF with you in the future, Chris. Almost certainly, yes. Uh, Billy, you can be found on Twitter. Uh, yeah, you can find me on the Twitter. Uh, I'm Billy uh, underscore J83. I forgot my Twitter handle there. Uh, <laughs> and I also have a little project, if you don't mind me plugging it. Um, of course. It's called uh, Brit Rest Review. It's on Twitter. We do uh, reviews of all the British shows. We've got interviews up with some British wrestlers, uh, 
some other American wrestlers. So uh, please go and check it out and uh, everything else. Yeah, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> Great. Yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, so to round things off, we've got three volumes for you this month, as is the norm. Uh, this is volume number one. As I said at the start, WCW is volume number two, covering the Slamboree show. And volume number three, rounded off the wrestling coverage, it looks at ECW's Wrestlepalooza. Um, I've been your host for the WWF show. My name is Chris White. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisWhite14 if you wish to do so. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye.